I was thinking very similar um, this morning. Someone asked me not too long ago, I was in a ministers, some young guys, ministries, a round table kind of thing. And they were having all kinds of questions. You know, they, they look at me and they think you're old. So when I don't feel that old. And um, so one of them asked a question, uh, who feeds you? Yeah. I said, well, Diane, Diane does a pretty good job. <laughs> and they said, no, who feeds you? He said, I'm talking about spiritually. And I said, nobody needs to feed me. I'm responsible to feed myself. When I'm not being fed, it's, it's I am not getting into the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me. The early church, when they came together, was not for the purpose of feeding, feeding the Word. It was to celebrate the Lord's table, actually. And to join themselves around the presence of God. The joining together was around the presence of God, not to hear a person speak. Pulpit didn't come in until later on. But when it comes to that point of saying, to those that are the hungry, they'll be fed by the Spirit of God. And I have to develop my own heart to want God more than anything else. Otherwise, I'm not hungry. To whatever I develop my heart on is what I'm hungry for. When I lose sight of the presence of God and I don't have hunger for Him, it doesn't matter who's saying what to who. But I believe in the Word of God no matter how deep a message is or how, how fundamental it is, there's something we can extract out of that because the Holy Spirit says He will take of His, speaking of Jesus the Word, and He will reveal it to us and say something to us that will be from His presence. So uh, I, don't, I don't feed my, I don't read and study to get a message. That part is, is easy, but I spend time with the Lord as all of all of you should do. There's the Amber Alerts going off everywhere. But to allow the Holy Spirit to say things intimately that things I'll never preach. Things that I'll not share with you, but he shares with me very personalized. Out of that personal time with him, there does come messages and things out of that. And so if I never preach another message, I'm still going to feed myself the Word of God. Husbands, you're responsible, men of God, you're responsible to feed your family the Word of God. That doesn't mean preaching at them. It means walking the Word out in front of them in such a way that they want to be like Jesus. Yes. Now, I want to share this morning. I know Frankie ministered a lot last me and last week, and I'll kind of segue into that. But on my time coming back when the Holy Spirit gave me this Word is prepare yourself because there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. But do not give yourself into that, nor will you be the one to report the shaking. I want you to be reporting what God is doing. <clears throat> because if you were going in to build a house and there was trees on it, you first clear the land and you're not looking and saying, wow, I feel bad about these trees, you know, I'm going there. But you, you look what's getting ready to be built there. What's getting ready to be built is greater than what's leaving there. The reason why we don't see other things built upon the, our foundation is because we're grieving because what he takes from us. 
but yet it's the goodness of the Lord. It's his love and mercy that he takes something from us that he can put something into us. We can get stuck in a position and push the pause button all day long and cycle and keep circling around because he said, I can't take you farther than, than where you are right now. There's a verse of scripture that Jesus was speaking primarily to Israel, but he was making a point to the, to the Pharisees. He said, I would have loved to gather you like a hen would gather the chicks and gather you under me, but you would not. And then he went on to say, you did not recognize... You didn't know it. You didn't see the opportunity. You didn't recognize your visitation. There wasn't a visitation of revival per se because he wasn't a guest, but the word of visitation, episkopos, which means inspection. You didn't recognize that I came to inspect you because what I was wanting to build on you. Every building has to, first of all, around here is an inspection not to be mean, but to ensure that what's built on top of that can stand all the pressures and the winds and all that. And you can see it in, in Matthew 7th chapter about the two foundations. The wind, flood, everything tested both foundations equally the same. One stood and one didn't. So part of his, the weightiness of his glory, kavod is the word, he comes and tests it because we ask him, fill my cup, Lord, I want more, I want more. And he said, Really? If I came and gave you more and you couldn't withstand it, then it would be destructive to you. Moses said, I want to see your glory. Moses, if you saw my face, you would, you would be just melted. The radiation presence of God. He who created the sun, and it's more radiation than anything in the solar system. He that created the sun is more radiant, more radioactive, if you will, than the sun. His presence... He comes to us in certain measures that we're able to, un, to experience and relate to him. So if I'm no longer hungry for his presence, then I'm no longer receiving the weightiness of his presence. So he comes, first of all, to inspect so that what he puts upon the foundation doesn't fall apart. And God doesn't waste anything. When he's feeding the 5,000, there's 12 basketfuls left over. He can say, oh, let's just throw it to the birds. So no, take them up, 12 apostles, 12 disciples rather, and they took up 12 baskets full. When God is doing something, it's not just for the immediate need, but for the abundance that will come out of that. But he does it so that we can have more than what we thought we had in the beginning. So there's something about the Holy Spirit as, he was, as I was driving back and he said, I want you to understand something about me. I mean, I'm just minding my own business, trying to watch out for the police, you know, and God protect me from the police. And he said, well, drive within the limits. Get behind me, devil, that in you. Because I, I know God wants me to be home early. So I was conflicted. What can I say? In the middle of that, he said, I want you to understand the fundamental part of who I am. And I want to I get into that this morning. Probably the most basic Message that I've probably preached here in a long time, but yet at the same time, it's got depth to it if you understand it to full meaning. I don't apologize for the depth of the word. That's what God's called. Yeah. But the application is very simple. The Bible says, you know, when you read through it, that the very fundamental nature of God, that God is love. Simple as that. Most times translate over 300 times the word love is used in Scripture most of those times is translated 
as agape. And most of us understand, you know, that I've hurting that, that term. There is the agape love, there's the storge love, which is family, familiar love. And then there's the eros love, which is erotic, and then phileo love, which is as a brotherly friend and so on. Every time it mentions God, obviously it mentions agape. Agape means more than unconditional love that we've always used. It is literally the very nature of God, more than charitable, it's who he is, his essence and his presence. So without his love, we cannot understand him. Most of us refer to said the love of God, talks about Romans 5, the love of God is shed abroad, administrated, or imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. He tells us the only way that we can understand the love of God, it will take the Spirit of God himself to be able to impart to us to know the love of God. I have a love for my wife. As much as I know how to do that, I cannot take that and appropriate it says I love God. I don't even know how to love God. I cannot love God without the, with the, help, the help of the Holy Spirit. I can love what he does for me. I can love what I see him happening in other people. I can love his provision for me. But to love him is literally the essence or the anointing of the Spirit of God that breaks the yoke. What brought this on was in the same conversation with some young guys, they asked the question, uh, what do I need to do to gain a greater anointing? I flippantly said to them, uh, give more room to the Holy Spirit and less of yourself. If you're full of yourself, you won't be full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was profound enough. They were looking for something more tangible, three steps to greater anointing. And I know you can go to conference and they probably tell you. But unless the Holy Spirit fills the house, then it's really not his house. If he only has a back room and we give him a part of the house, but not fully the house, then we've compartmentalized him and he's not, he's not the Lord of the house. He's only, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. And I realized that this answer wasn't sufficient. It wasn't even for me and I got provoked by that and the Holy Spirit started telling me, he said, that's not even the right question how to get a greater anointing. The answer was so simple, I just I kept missing it. Uh, I was, they were looking for something to do. And what the Holy Spirit says to me, the greater anointing comes by the greater love. Greater love than this, no man has that he would lay down his life for his friends. There's times that men, we think that because we're making a living for our family, putting a roof over your head, putting food on the table, I love you. That is a storge or a sense of responsibility that's there. But if I never affirm my young men, boys, girls growing up, if I don't tell them how, who they are and give them our identity and, 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 and saturate them with how much they love me, they'll find some other male figure to, to, to say it to them and give them that identity. America has an identity crisis that we've lost understanding that in God we trust and then we started trusting other nations, trusting, trusting these rights and those rights. And so we, we've sorgated out of that and we've become a selfish, narcissistic nation in the sense that I want my rights, I want my entitlements. That 0.2% of the population can demand the rights and someone give it to them. When the whole Bible talks about the fact it is God who gives these rights and they rights, 
But it's right what he says is right. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not righteousness, what I think is right for me. What am I entitlement? How about me? There's about 10 points to know if you're a narcissist. I, you ought to check it out. You go down the look and saying that it's all about me. What, what's in it for me? What are you doing for me, honey? How are you blessing my life? What's going, what are you going to do for me? You know, you need to lay down your life. You need to do this and you jump through the hoops. And then the next step is, the fact is, if you can be deceptive with that, then you can lie. Then you can be, until the point is, you don't even know that you're doing it. It becomes self-serving. I can say this unequivocally, I think, that most, most times I've, the marriage counseling I've done over years, many years, 35 years of it, is that at the root of every marital issue is a self-centered heart that's fighting for their own right to have their own identity. Instead of saying, I'm giving up that identity because I want Jesus. Where I can say all the right things theologically and have not loved in the way that Jesus would love and I have no value. So look with me in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll do a little bit of an exegetical thing here. I want to take time to do this because it's so important. If you notice, if you, would go, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the spiritual gifts and about being a you know, member of each other's body and all the members of the body have, you know, they're one body, but they have many, many different responsibilities and, and so on, but they're one body. The hand doesn't say, I have my rights. I want to have it elevated to where the head is. Otherwise, the hand is cutting himself off. When you demand your rights and you manipulate husbands, wives manipulating husbands, children manipulating families and all that, you are, you are at the point of witchcraft. Witchcraft is where that something to deceive, to manipulate, and force something to happen. You know, we, give, we throw out ultimatums. God didn't, you know, God gave us a choice. It wasn't an ultimatum, but he doesn't change his mind. I can't use an ultimatum and say, God, if you, if you don't bless me, I'm, gonna, I'm turning my back on you and you're going to be one less person. And yeah, go ahead and see how that's it thinking. I cannot give God an ultimatum. I can't bargain with him. It's either his way or no way. So when it comes to that point that I realize some of the things that's caught, hindered and interrupt the blessing of God in families, that there are families that's operating in a level of witchcraft and they don't even know they're doing it. Paul even talks about it. 1 Corinthians 11. Why have you been fellowshipping with demons? <laughs> I mean, he's talking to the church. And fellowshipping demons, yeah. You've been eating things sacrificed to pagan gods and all this stuff and you fellowship with that and, and you invite this thing in that. And so if I, am, if I am doing something, I'll do this one thing to get Diane to do that, then I'm manipulating her because I'm now operating in a different spirit to get her to do what I want, then that means I'm operating in form of witchcraft or very narcissistic. I have to lay down that way in order for him to bless it because if I blessed it and you were manipulating, then I've... I've shown you how to manipulate and get your way, and it proves blessing. It's like a young child growing up. They throw a fit. Parents go, ah, oh, give them the, you want, a, you want a lollipop here? Whatever you want, just shut them up. 
Ah, they have learned behavior. I have just taught them every time you want to do something, you throw a fit, especially in the grocery store. And mom will throw something in there, throw a bag, and go get a toy, something, do that. So we've created behavior that God cannot be manipulated, nor will he respond to our threats against him. In the same way that there's a responsibility in the marriage and in the family is that we train by leading, not by shoving. Though the sons of God are led by the Spirit, not shoving them. You tell God's leading because men, you're out front. Mother and father, you're out front. You're not behind and do as I say, not as what I do. We're, we're, in a, we're in a time to where that we can find entitlement. I worked hard all day and, you know, come in. And so, man, we check out. We just out of the, you know, that's it. Done my deed. No. Jesus gives us example in a parable where his disciples came to him and he said, increase our faith. If he was in a charismatic church, we'd line them all up, lay hands on them, said, faith, 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 faith. I wish it worked that way. But instead he said, let me give you this little parable. Parabola means truth alongside of, or a story alongside that has truth in it. He said, which of you having servants plowing the field all day, and when they come in, it's time for you to eat, you sit down at the, the dinner table, and that servant's been out in the field all day, do you say to him, hey, come over and sit down and, and let me serve you? I mean, culturally, they understood. Jesus said, no. You would tell him to go wash up, put a towel around you, and take care of me. For why would you think that, that servant for what he did, when he did what it was required of him to do? So Jesus was saying, in order to increase faith, if you only do the minimal, you'll never get increase. If I only do what's required of me, check the box, went to church this week, you know, prayed a little bit on between, you know, red lights. Maybe that's why God's making more red lights than Tyler is to get a, that's to pray more. I don't know. <laughs> Instead of cursing the red light, okay, God, I get the message. I need a prayer. So there, what happens is that if we only do the minimal, we have it increased. And so if I only get, if I only take what's preached on Sunday morning, I don't feed myself the rest of the time, I'm not fed. Because my job is not to feed you and that's it, is to help you feed yourself. To create a hunger where you go after and pursue God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about gifts of prophecy and, and tongues and so on. Sandwiched right in the middle of 13 is the chapter on love. And it's interesting because Paul didn't make a mistake. And in, in the early manuscripts, there were no chapters and verses. They put that in for us, you know, Bible for dummies thing. We need to... But right in the middle between the gifts of the Spirit is the, this love thing. Yes. Look at it. Though I speak in tongues with men and of angels, but have not love, again, that is God himself imparted inside of us, internalizing the way God sees. So love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not about goosebumps. It has nothing to do with that. It is God, the way God sees and looking through the way God sees or views something, that is the love of God. 
so we can get past that of, you know, I got goosebumps. Praise God in presence of God, we feel something, but that's because our spirit is overflowing and our body is, is, is a recipient of what's going on on the inside. I don't do something to get God. I do it because of what God's doing in the inside. If I become, I become nothing more than a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. This is how we will be judged before the bema seat of God at the last days. You've preached, you've had all these theological revelations, you've prophesied, you've spoken tongues, and you come up before him, but you didn't have love. Your motivation and reason for doing it was because you wanted to impress people or whatever the reason would be, but without love, then God sees it has no value. The book I'm finishing up right now is The Currency of Heaven. Meaning the fact is, what does heaven say that has a value that is deposited there that we can draw from right now in this world? If you don't see the manifestation power of God, maybe that we were overdrawn in heaven. We have nothing there. That's the parable that Jesus said. If you've done the minimal, there may not be anything there. He told Abraham, it was accounted for you for righteousness sake. The word accounting there is an exact translation. It was deposited in you, righteousness, in your account. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, love indeed, and though I give my body to be burned, we haven't got there yet. I did burn myself on iron yesterday, but a little bit. <laughs> but have not love, it profits me nothing. He's saying love is the principal thing of profitability. I can do all of these things and have no profit. The woman is sitting at the, or Jesus sitting at the back of the, the temple. The lady comes in, puts in the two little mites, which was less than 25 cents. And Jesus says, she's given more than all of you. Why? Because she gave it out of a motivation that I had a heart for God, not out of being motivated by what people thought. She had, that was her best. Look at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It is not manipulative in essence. Love and puffed up, look at me, and because of who I am, then you need to be something towards that. That's nothing else. Jesus said when he came into this world, he said, I didn't come into this world to be served. I came in the wor this world to serve. The greatest among you, let him first be the servant of all. How we serve really depicts whether our heart is. Well, I just stay out of doing anything. I just stay away from everything. I, people leave me alone. I leave them alone. That is not the love of God. God created man, three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. He created us that our spirit, everything, every part of our being that we had to be nourished and fed by whatever we were created from. Because we were created from the dirt, we need to eat plants that come from the dirt, not processed foods. That's another story. Then we're a soul, meaning the fact we need interaction, we need community. We had our connect group the other night, and uh, traditions, Diane and I did, and I think there were 16 of us, and I was fed. Oh, we all shooting scripture each other? No. I was fed by enjoying with one another. Because it's community, iron sharpens iron, 
There was affirmations. There was blessing one another, and we just receiving one another, and it was just so good. It was healthy. I need that in my soul. My body needs nourishment. There are some things that I can't get from anyone else, and that is spiritual. It takes the Holy Spirit to do something in my spirit. I can preach a message. I can get in the Word, and it admonishes me in my soul. But there's a part of ourselves spiritually that God left, and nobody can feed you. No one can fill that space but me. You can be upset with your spouse and saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy. It's because deep down in your spirit, there's a part missing that's not God. And I can do all of the gifts and all the prophecies and all this and be known all over the world for all these things and yet be empty as can be as a dry cupboard with dust on, in my spirit, though outwardly I can, I can know how to do it. He's challenged me with this. All of the gifts from 12 to 14, the Bible says they all operate or work out of love. Not the love of the ministry or love for the gift, but the love of God, not the love for God. If I only want gifts so people would, would love me and be blessed by it and all of that, then I still have the wrong motivation. Because every one of you, you don't belong to me. I love you and I care for you. I'm so glad you're here. But you're bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. I am an under-shepherd. He is the shepherd. And I'm responsible for what I do towards all of you. And all of you are responsible for what you do to one another. Jesus makes this clear. As you've done it to the least of these, it is the same for doing it for me. Right now, our actions is what we're doing towards Jesus. If I'm resistant to my spouse or resistant to the family, it is the same as resistance to Jesus. If you've seen me, Philip said, Jesus told Philip, brother, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm just reflecting who the Father is. He's the good Father. He's not withholding good from you. God so loved, he motivated him, moved him to love people that was yet even born. So love doesn't have to have a target in the sense of what I'm getting back. Love is the very nature of God that sees prophetically beyond what's happening at the moment. I can love you, you can love me, even though we're acting up at the moment. It's like loving a child in a storge kind of way. That man right now, I don't like you, but I love you. Because I see the potential of what God wants to do. I've had my parents tell me that. Right now, I don't like this behavior. You saying you don't like me? I'll just go get adopted somewhere else. Don't tip me. What we're saying is, no, I don't have to like the behavior, but I, I love you because I see the potential that God will do. With love is the ability to look beyond the momentary light affliction and see the greater weight of glory. Again, it has nothing to do with feelings, has nothing to do with emotion. It is the ability to see the way God sees this is the God kind of love. So if I'm ministering to someone and I operate ministering to them what I see in the natural, I'm operating out of perception, not by the love of God. Yes. Prophecy works by love, not by perception. Right. We teach that in our training class. Well, they see somebody, man, they look like, you know, they're really upstanding quality people, so they give them a good word. Or they see some person comes in, looks like a bum, and they give them a bum word. <laughs> I had a friend that did that. He, 
he was a pastor of the church and he grew up as, and had on nasty clothes and had a cart with a bunch of junk in it. And he was walking around outside the church asking for money. And people were blowing him off. Just wouldn't do anything. So they were looking around, where's pastor? Where's pastor? Where's I thought he was preaching today. And all of a sudden, here he comes, walking, pushing his cart down the aisle. You can see the shock on their face. He said, out of all the people there, there's only one person that stopped him and gave him anything. And then again, they prayed with him. Because the love has a perception in the natural of what we think. You love me, you react to me in a certain way, then I'll react to you. And that's, that's natural. But there's a supernatural kind of love that says, I'm going to respond to you the way that Jesus sees you from eternity's standpoint and not the way that I'm feeling right now. Because if it is, we'll have a hard time finding a people that will love us because we'll find something wrong with them eventually. Hmm? Eventually we'll find something wrong with you. I was talking to this young lady. She was asking, wanting us to pray for a mate. She'd never been married. So I said, well, have you been around some young men? Yeah, I even went some to church. I said, what happened? Well, this one guy, we were out and I really liked him. And then I, and then I sat down at dinner with him and I watched him eat. And I says, is he a believer? Oh, yeah, he's, he's a Christian. So I've got, oh, yeah, I think, yeah. I said, we can train him to eat. <laughs> but I can't train their heart. Just because you find somebody that knows how to chew their cud, and yet they're far away from God, you've got a problem then. Yeah. It's another message. <laughs> Verse 5, love is not behave rudely does not seek its own, self-centered. It is not provoked, thinks no evil. Man, it's hard not to think evil when you're being evil treated. So again, love is not how you feel, not what you see. It is supernaturally inside, looking beyond the moment, it's power of blessing, looking beyond the moment and seeing God's potential in them. Verse 8, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Well, we've already seen that, haven't we? Where there are tongues, they will cease. Because we're, one day we're in heaven. We don't use tongues in heaven. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect, teleos, complete, missing nothing, has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So that, we're not prophesying in heaven. There's no night of ministry in heaven. There's no preaching in heaven. Praise God. You've got a day off. There's none of this going on, but there is the song of the redeemed. We're worshiping. There's two things that we're doing in heaven. We're worshiping. They're declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They're declaring who he is. And they says, and the very nature and essence in heaven, the culture around in heaven is love. Love never fails. It will not cease. So it's not an emotion when we get there. If you have trouble loving God's people now, just think how it will be when you get there. That's why we need to get this right. Verse 9, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, that which is perfect has come, that which is in part. Some people say perfect is the word of God. It's not perfectly translated, so not that, which perfect when Jesus, when he. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, 
these three, but greatest of these is love. Verse, chapter 14 starts verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. It doesn't say pursue spiritual gifts. It says pursue love and desire. The word pursue is a stronger word than desire. Desire means I have a feeling towards, a proclivity towards. Pursue means I'm going after it. I'm running. I'll do whatever it has to. I'll buy the fields, got the pearl of great price in it. I'll do whatever I have to do because that's the thing I need to do. I've known this, grew up hearing a message on that, but I need to get back to the basic format of this idea. Everything we do spiritually has got to have the foundation and fundamentality of the love of God, not just the love for God. A lot of people have love for God, but don't have love of God. Yeah. To where we do it in such a way that, that the love for God depends upon how we're feeling that day. Happiness is what's happening around us. The love of God means he's putting something down inside of us. Though it doesn't matter what's happening around us, we're steady. I have a friend. Man, I wouldn't, to look at their lives, and as a pastor, I mean, everything is against them, falls apart, one thing after the other, and he always has a sense of smile on his heart and the joy of the Lord. If you ask me, how are you doing? He said, God's so good. I woke up this morning, had this verse in my heart. And I thought, oh my, he's got physical afflictions, he's got financial issues, his house, he had uh, uh, one of his sons disowned him and left him, said, I don't want anything to do with you, because over God, and took off and left him. I mean, the divisiveness everywhere. But in his heart, there was a settling. The love of God was inside, and he was looking past the moment and said, we're going to have a breakthrough, we're going to have a breakthrough. Instead of panicking. All right. Look with me to 1 John, the fourth chapter. Let's pick it up in, excuse me, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I told you, 1 John. 1 Peter 4. Love covers a multitude of sin. The word there doesn't mean that love covers it up. But love steps in front of to stop the accusations against the person. Love is meaning I'm giving him the part, time to repent. I'm talking to change there. Another place in 1 John, he said, if you see a brother sin, a sin that's not unto death, we assume that may be blasphemy. Instead of cursing them, saying they got what they deserve, look at them, put them down, is that you ask life for them. This is the love of God, is not looking so much at it, is what it is. It's an interesting verse in Genesis, the ninth chapter, in verse 20. Came out last week in preaching, I didn't even have it written down, and it's so stuck with me all week. The Bible says that Noah planted a vineyard. He started drinking from the vineyard. He got drunk. He's inside of his tent. You know the story how that he was naked there. The word naked isn't translated as no clothes on. 
Naked there, it meant that it was an illicit sexual attack. Think that we think naked is naked. His son walked in, named Ham, walks in and sees his dad naked there and walks out and tells the other two brothers. The other two brothers take a garment, they didn't go in the same, took a garment and walked backwards and put over their father to cover his nakedness. So my question was, well, why are you were, and so Noah wakes up, he realized something happened, and you can read there where he's, he's cursing Ham, really is, but also he's cursing Canaan, his, his grandson. Until you go back and look at the context and go back in Leviticus and some other places and, and look at the verbs there. Literally, yes, something happened while Noah was, was incapacitated and something that Ham's son did to his father that was of a sexual nature. And Noah woke up and knew it and he cursed Ham and also cursed Canaan. And you know the story of their bloodline from that time on was just, you know, cursed and things began to happen against him. Here's what I'm going to see out of this. The love of God covers. It's not how we view it to be. This is how God views. And God says, my love is to cover them. I sent my son to cover the blood there. One translation said it covers to the point of washing away. So it's not covering up. It is covering so that the enemy cannot hit them at their point of, of vulnerability. So we're called to be a covering, not an uncovering. There's three levels when the Holy Spirit deals with sin. Number one, that when there's sin involved, whatever level that where God decides, no to do good and don't do it is sin. Is first of all that the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. That's what he says. He will convict and he can convict and convince us of God's will and his nature in that. If we repent and turn from it that moment, there's a cleansing that happens. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sin from us, transgression. If that doesn't happen, we continue to move on in sin continually from that point. He brings the second level along. He loves us so much. The second level, as in the case with David when he sinned with Bathsheba, God sent Nathan the prophet. Nathan knew that he could be killed for speaking to the king that way. So Nathan comes and tells him a story, a parable, and said, King, there was this person who had this one man had this one little sheep. That's all he had. And this other person came and had this all of these other sheep. And he came and took from this young, this man that had the one sheep. And David said, who is he? I'll kill him. Nathan said, thou art the man. So God sends somebody, they repent. David begins to prince. You see in Psalms 51, oh God, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I need you, Lord. So he broke in that. Yet we find out God had a love for David, not because he was flawless, but because David had a conviction that understood how God viewed things and through his eyes. That mean he didn't sin, but he knew what God wanted in response to that. The third level is if a person does not, they, after that, he taking heed warning by someone, God sending him to them, and you keep jumping over those hurdles, the third thing is, and God loves us so much, he'll even bring it out publicly. He will bring it out publicly and to where at that point we're, we're broken at that point. He covers up publicly. He covers us. He covers us even at the second level. This between you and me. This between me and you. 
And if we don't go from that saying, you know, I can't hear you, God, I can't hear you, he said, I'll help you to hear. He loves us so much that he doesn't leave us in the way we do. Otherwise, we'll become so hardened and more hardened to the point is we no longer feel God. We no longer can sense him. We no longer have the presence of God. We, even ha we don't have a hunger for God. That is a serious place to be in. Now, he tells us in 1 John, the fourth chapter, very familiar to us, verse 18, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may be bold in the day of judgment, I mean, because we have a sense that God loves us, we know who he is, not having to be concerned about heaven or hell. He's put eternity into our hearts, Ecclesiastes says. Because as he is, so we are in this world. Right now, he said, I've put something in you right now in this world to identify and relate to God. You have everything you need right now to identify with God. I can choose not to do it. I can choose not to yield to it. But I have to pursue him or not do it. Here's the next part. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear leaves, involves torment, but we who, he who fears has not been made perfect, teleos, been complete, in love. We love him because he first loved us. What he's saying is God's love is perfect. It needs nothing more. God is not going to be more loving and have more love than he is right now. It's his nature. But he says perfect love casts out fear for those who fear have not been perfected or completed in love. Here's, here's the rough translation. If I'm fearful, it means that I'm not filled up completely with the love of God inside of me, that I'm seeing and sensing everything though God sees it, and I'm fearful. I'm not allowing him to, to show me how his way, that his plans are beyond our plans, and because of that, I start fearing. There is a level of love that we can have. There is a sense that I want to pursue after God, but to completely be filled up where running over nooks and crannies is there would not be any fear there. Because even to the last days, the day of judgment, he says if you were perfected in love, you would not be fearful before the judgment day. So what is he wanting to do? He said, I want to perfect love, make it complete. It's not missing, not lacking anything. And here's the kicker. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. Your spouse cannot perfect you. Give up on it, guys. <laughs> Ladies, you cannot perfect him. You can bring him before the throne of God and say, hey, you made him. You can love, love before God. You can honor the Lord. But if you try to manipulate and work on him and force him, if you don't do this, no dinner for you, buddy, then that's manipulative. As I do it to you, so I'm doing it unto the Lord. Oh. So he said, when love is perfected and so filled up, fear has not a place or room to say anything inside of you. All the nooks and crannies, fear has no place there. So when you start feeling fearful or feel like something's going to, it's getting ready to happen bad, just turn your, set your affection on things above, turn your affection towards the Lord and begin to consider all that he has in store for you, not what's right now and the nasty now and now. What's ahead of you? And I'll tell you, the love of God will kick out the fear and be so filled with him. Amen. 
I've been times in a third world country, thank God for America, when I, when I felt some danger, I felt that, and felt an enemy start tormenting me with that. And the Lord brought back to an old Clint, East, Clint Eastwood movie when the enemy says, you're going to die out here in the jungle and nobody will know you're here and your body will rot and blah, 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 blah. And I, so the, I heard this words, Clint Eastwood movie, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit followed up confirmation. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All I could think is I don't have to make this 14-hour trip back on an airplane. You can just take me right now. So it totally disarms the enemy when he can't blackmail and use fear against you. If you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. Well, the Lord's never left me, forsaken me. When you take away blackmail and the ultimatums and the controlling spirits off things and people, then what's left over is I've got love. And love never fails. It's complete. Missing nothing, lacking nothing to the full extent of that. I can, I can love people that I don't even like <laughs> in the full sense of the word. If I ask you, do you know of anybody that you don't like? Some of you may take you a while to think about it. I'm not asking to show hands. <laughs> but there's sometimes there are people that just are not of the same heart. But if we dealt with them, give them return evil for evil, then we've taken on their spirit. But love has a way of saying, what would Jesus do? What would God do in this? And I want to see you through the eyes of my, my God. So when I stand before him, you loved like I loved and love never fails and love is your prophet. Not how long you prophesied or how much you prophesied or who you prophesied to. None of those things are clicking off the box in heaven. There are a few things that heaven says is really a value to us and, is, and has a currency. The blood of Jesus obviously won. But the love of God is also one big, big one. The word of God is huge. So if I love him, I'll love his word. If I don't love him, then his word means nothing to me. It's a dead letter. John 13, and I'm done. Verse 34, all men will know you, that you're my disciples, if you have love, not one for, but one towards how you act towards them, your action, then they'll say, I know who you, you've been following. Mm-hmm. I work, I'm around a lot of pastors and leaders around the world, and I can tell you that I watch and see how they interact with people. Yes. And they'll greet me, hey, glad you're here. And somebody come up to them, ask questions, I, I don't have time for you. It just breaks my heart. I can't say that you're a disciple of his. You may be a disciple of a movement. You may be a disciple of a church, but are you a disciple of his? Do I belong to him? There's there's an interesting scripture in in 1 Corinthians 8. 
And he says, those that love God are known by him. There's one translation that says, those that love God, hell knows. So bottom line, what causes the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be more than just average or something activity we do, what's the power that brings the manifestation of the presence of God is the love of God. The power of blessing that's part of our culture here. That's why every new person coming in, they get a copy of the book that we will not tolerate or, or acknowledge sarcasm to hurt one another. It's not who we are. It will sound like a clanging cymbal. Well, that didn't sound right. I didn't know they'd let people in like you here. <laughs> I was just teasing. No, you weren't. Out of the abundance of the heart, there's an insecurity inside of you that says I have to do something to put someone down to elevate me. If you're using that kind of sarcasm in your home and family, it is a culture that does not belong in eternity. I don't want to take something into eternity that I'm surely not using here. That I was using there is going to be used here. You see a transformation in our lives. Stand with me if you would please. My last quote of the day. Actually it was the first thing that started me thinking You cannot have the mission of God without first have entering into the intimacy of God. I can have the mission of God. I'm sending you there. But until I've entered into the intimacy of God, I really are powerless to accomplish the mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. I can read the Romans law, 10 steps of this, 10 steps of faith, all of that kind of thing. Get it down in my head. But if I have not entered into a personal intimacy with the Lord, there's going to be things happen along the way that's going to get, disappoint me, that's going to upset me and bother me, and will cause me to want to go home. Yeah. Except one thing, intimacy with Him. Yeah. What does that mean? Intimacy means I'm allowing Him into me to deal with any stuff that is unnecessary weights that's going to cause me to trip up along the way. I had a friend, he's passed away now. We were, went to, he was a missionary in Africa, teaching Bible school. I knew him before he was ever in ministry. It was miracles how I even got into Ghana, and you've heard that story. We were in a meeting, and they were trying to cast this demon out of this lady, and, and he says, every month she comes, and, and I said, well, just cast it out of her, obviously. She said, her spitting at you, writhing like a serpent. He said, we've tried. Gathered some around us, and I told her, I said, look at me. I said, Jesus paid the price to deliver and set the captive free. This day, you will no longer transgress on holy ground. That demon left fairly quickly and easily the lady 
she was actually she's a wife of a territorial governor flipped over backwards lay there a little bit and a little bit time later about an hour later she gets up and she's speaking in tongues not the Buganda dialect I thought I don't understand how come that this has been going on for months and you haven't set her free this is not anything special with me I started having time alone after we had taught each Bible school all day we'd go out and had a little tennis court nearby and he wouldn't play tennis went out there and I saw his behavior when he was not in Bible school it was lewd it was crude and something you'd see in a locker room of a bunch of you know heathens because when we can have know all the methodology and know how to do something but it's the love of God that is the power of God to cause them like he said in Corinthian those who love God are known by him and they also the demons know fear and tremble so father I pray today I break every bit of resistance and rebellion towards the way of the Lord. Any areas, oh God, that we've, we're holding on to our ways that have been so pushing back on who you are. Today, God, would you come in such love that come into and speak to us directly to our hearts and you disarm us from all manipulation, all, all leverages and all holds that we've used in times past that it worked as a, as a child. You said in this first Corinthians, and said in Corinthians that when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put all those things aside. I don't care what age you are, that you may still be acting like a child because of how we walk out life with other people and in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is moving at a rapid speed. We're moving somewhere, we're going somewhere. It's not enough to be a, a baby in the kingdom of God. We're put before us and he's saying, I want you to enter in to this place with him so that you operate in the demonstration and power of his spirit because God, God will not be manipulated. He can't be bargained with and we end up getting behind and we look up one day and the body of Christ has moved on and now they're operating in such a dimension of the power of the Holy Spirit and he said, I'm just trying to figure out how to get my needs met. So, Father, we just ask the Holy Spirit right now, including myself. I put myself in this prayer. Search me, O Lord, and try me. If there's anything in me that's resistant towards you that would delineate or dilute the love of God, would you just come in the secret place of the heart and, and do business. You so quickly, you break us and you give mercy for those who cry out to you. Help us, God, that we don't have to wait for the second hurdle or the third hurdle. Or after that, we're just become so hardened. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. And I ask you, Lord, cleanse us. Let life be in our mouth. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Help us to never use our tongue to be in agreement to create fear or darkness in anybody's life. And we thank you for the might and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be down here in, in front. I just feel strongly 
just a sense of soberness on my heart this morning that God wants to pray and minister some people. And I'll be happy to do that. I wish I could do it for you. But there has to be the entrance of the door, the open of the door, opening of the door has to invite him in. He doesn't come kick it down. Maybe when the beginnings of born again, he pursued us. But now that we know him, it's time that we have to pursue him. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord be glorious and his presence over you. And that you would have the eyes of your father to see what he sees. In Jesus' name. Bye. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.